Welcome to Second Star to the Left, a podcast on everything fantastic, strange, and science fictional. I'm your host, Matt Nelson. This week, I'm joined by my co-hosts. I'm Bert. I'm Chris. I'm Katie. And we're discussing the 2015 George Miller film, Mad Max Fury Road. In this wasteland, I am the one who runs from both the living... And the dead. A man reduced to a single instinct. Survive. It is by my hand! You arise! From the ashes of this world! So this week, uh, we'll be talking um, about a film that has some pretty strong graphic imagery around sexual violence and implied sexual violence. So if that's something that's going to be a challenge for you, just letting you know that that's a topic that will probably come up in the course of our discussion. I wanted to ask you all, what was this movie about? And just give me a brief description, a few sentences, what happens in this movie? Mad Max Fury Road is about uh, the titular character Mad Max... Uh, who's in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. We all know that. Uh, And he gets caught up in an escape plan hatched by um, an officer. Eh, That's not really going to work. He basically gets caught up in an escape plan by a bunch of sex slaves slash wives, harem ladies, and helps them get away and also smash capitalism. <laughs> um, all right, well, his name is Max. His world is fire. And we start with a car chase, and then the entire movie is a car chase, and it's the best movie ever made. Um, but yeah, yeah. So add that to Bert's, and I think you pretty much got it. And there are Victoria's Secret models. Okay. Um, uh, truck wife steals dictator's wife. Also, <laughs> Mad Max is there. Oh, I forgot the wife breakdown. Damn it. Oh, yeah. This movie has a lot of wives in it. That's really important given the cultural climate of 2019 and the political connotations of wives. Truck wife, too. That's, that's perfect. It is yeah, truck, truck wife. wife is really good. I would describe it as a... Uh, Lieutenant betrays her warlord leader in uh, escaping with his harem. Along the way, Max Rakotansky gets involved in a furious car chase across the post-apocalyptic wasteland, culminating in the warlord's defeat um, and emancipation of the warlord's city. So, 
that's kind of how I read it, but I, I think... <laughs> See, you're like, trying to be accurate. I'm trying to be a dumbass. So. <laughs> uh, I think they're both accurate. It's just, it's just on what, what kind of accuracy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'll say that for any listeners, if you expect us to get like super critical about Mad Max, it probably won't happen that much because this is probably my t- top film of 2015 and one of my top fi- uh, 10 films of all time. This film, even just watching it again for the podcast, always arrests me with how powerful and just energetic this film is. This film, when you read those critic reviews and they use like the little quotes around like kinetic or a masterpiece, like that to me is Fury Road. It's one of the best action films of all time. Yeah, agree there. Um, I remember going to see this i don't i don't think i like even watched the trailer like i just remember going because it was an action movie and i knew that it pissed off a lot of fragile men so i was like fuck it i'll go see it in the theater like having like no idea what it was going to be about and then i think i saw it three more times in the theater like i was just like taking all my friends like we're gonna go see this and like every time it was like really great and like i would just appreciate different like new levels so um for me that definitely resonated especially when so many like action movies feel like they will fall into the same like cliches and sometimes those cliches can be fun and you can have fun with them but um it was like the first time where you know i felt like this is a mad max movie but max isn't necessarily the main character um he's definitely not the main focal point so i thought that was like really interesting and really fun and so like obviously for me it resonated i think it was like that for a lot of women too um uh, or just like non cishet white men may have probably like really enjoyed this for a lot of reasons. I do have some criticisms about the movie, like uh, from a leftist perspective, but compared to everything else we've done so far, uh, relatively <laughs> little. Um, so yeah, but I won't. I'm probably going to dominate this podcast. Sorry, y'all, but uh, I'll at least let y'all get some some words in <laughs> when I'm feeling generous. That's fine. It's very much your turn. I think. <laughs> yeah, I have it coming. No, please like, don't. Please don't do it's her turn. Shit. Thanks. <laughs> no, I'm just mean literally your turn because Bert and Matt and I yes. have like taken up a lot of space on mostly me. Yeah, <laughs> that's all I meant. And Katie's been there working for so long. It's really her turn. No, don't be there. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah, that is what I meant. That's nevertheless that's exactly she persisted oh, through off the podcast. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> so anyway i'm not sure where y'all want to start my first impression rewatching this was like man for everyone suffering like small amounts of like or varying amounts of radiation poisoning and bioaccumulation uh everyone's super jacked except for i guess oh, yeah. the regular folks who are super fucked but like yeah everybody's either got like an amputation or is just gigantic. Yeah. yeah, you got yeah. Either you're missing limbs or you've got a six pack, <laughs> and like that's it. There's no there's no scaling in between, right? Like it's uh, and in that regard, like does that like kind of bring up some issues of like ableism in the movie? Like I I get what they were trying to portray of like you know when you know, viable babies in like the future where you have too little resources and potentially like environmental like degradation and poisoning like yeah you might not have like the strongest progeny but did fury road portray that do you think in a 
good way. So, you know, everything has to also be viewed through the lens that, like, their society is constructed around, like, this thing that, like, Immortan Joe put together, like, putting his people on top and, like, you know, the war boys get elevated to their station by their... I assume they're, like, mostly being physically functional as compared to the people who are holding up bowls to try to catch the water. Um, but also, like, weirdly enough, like, Immortan Joe's little society that he built up... I don't know, maybe it's more that, like, the people who are brought into the fold by nepotism are forgiven their their failings, and so that's why, like... You know, Immortan Joe has all these, like, physical failings, but, you know, he's on top, so it doesn't matter. His son, who is, um, you know, a little person and has some other physical deformities and stuff, still gets to be up in that leadership role because he's his son. So, yeah, I mean, I don't think that they're doing anything particularly damaging in the film itself. I think it all is, like viewable in context of what's going on in this like post-apocalyptic society where everybody is like slowly mutating away from humanity what i appreciate about the film first off is that both immortan joe and furiosa which i would argue are the protagonists and antagonists of the film or flip that it's very easy for films to portray physical disabilities as villainous in some capacity Mm -hmm. and this film i think shows us in both the protagonist and antagonist as both having disabilities in various ways. Um, I was reading an essay that I'll link in the show notes about pop uh, power and disability in Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, it was on Pop Matters. Brent Walter Klein was talking about how disability for Furiosa is, uh, for Moten Joe, is viewed as a vulnerability, as a point of weakness. So he never shows um, mm-hmm. his weaknesses or his disability uh, you know, his uh, lack of ability to breathe amongst the war boys and the people uh, that he rules. But for Furiosa, she constantly is sort of exposing that vulnerability of her lost arm to the other, the harem, the women, um, the, the former wives of the warlord and of uh, to the Vuvalini. That is like, it feels like a shade of difference. Uh, I, I don't think that like the movie is obviously perfect on, dis- uh, on ability, but I think it's different than a lot of conventional portrayals of ability and disability that we usually see. It's true. Yeah. And Max also has like this deep-seated trauma that ends up kind of... He kind of turns it into working for him by the end of the movie. He, I guess he learns from it and adapts to it in a way. It helps him like salvage his essential humanity in a way that, like, a lot of characters have completely abandoned in the movie. Yeah, and it also literally helps him, which is kind of weird, but, yeah, I mean, but that's in the fantastical world of the movie. Yeah, know? and that's, like, one moment, really, and it's fine. Yeah. Also, the another point that the article brought that I wanted to reference was the um, sense of autonomy that comes up with ability and disability, and um, how... Max, over the course of the film, Max is becoming more interdependent with people. Like, that's sort of his character arc up until the end when he leaves um, and has to go off and do his own thing again. Um, And Furiosa also becoming interdependent with the wives. And, like, the whole point of this sort of pre... The the Immortan Joe society is everyone is autonomous for themselves. And everything, you just take as much as you can. 
you consume as much as you can and you don't ever share with anyone else and if you do it's a sign of your godlikeness like he gives water to people and that's how he holds sway over them whereas in contrast you have the uh, vuvulini you have uh, furiosa learning to become more uh, interdependent and that is to me the arc uh, the uh, a social arc of the film talking about this interdependence and the ways we have to connect with each other and that actually creates a functioning society like that is the healing process from this post-apocalyptic wasteland that the the people need which is yeah. very socialist to me yeah getting getting back to how we felt about the movie in general uh i mean you guys know me uh i had a lot of problems with the film and no i'm, I'm just kidding <laughs> did you buy it <laughs> no <laughs> okay i didn't think i so. didn't yeah no this movie fucking rules uh I, I will say, yeah, I, I every time I watch it, I get more of the, the, the kind of, it's not subtle, but the, the anti-capital, like the, the anti-capitalist message of it, I guess. The thing is, is like when we were watching like, like the abyss, like it has that kind of military men bad, uh, salt of the earth people good, but it's so surface level. It, it doesn't like the movie, the themes of the actual themes of the movie don't really tie into that. Whereas this movie, it's like, oh, okay, this is very clearly a statement against it's it's, it's consolidation a, of power. Exactly, and people resources. working together for each other as opposed to like the only power or resources that are given up are are on you know terms of what what is this going to do for me? You know, it's a very feminist movie. I I, I did have the same. I remember when it came out, I do remember the backlash. Um, a lot of people complained that Max is not the main character in this movie, and the, there's a woman, oh my god, there's a woman as the main character. And um, I was like, okay, everybody's calling this new Mad Max movie feminist, and a lot of people are complaining that the whole thing's a car chase. I'm like, I gotta see this fucking movie like, <laughs> right now. And we just went to the theater, and I was like... Yeah, this this movie. I don't remember what got best picture in two thousand fifteen. I want to say it was like the artist, the fartist, or something. That's probably older, actually, like way older. But whatever it was, I remember feeling like Mad Max probably should have got it. Even like I did not care that it was an action movie. I was like, this was the best film this year. Fucking give it its due. It was so good. <laughs> it was even better on rewatch. Um, it was it was Birdman that got. Fuck that. Best picture in <laughs> No offense. I mean, I, like, whatever. Yeah. This movie's better than Birdman. Come on. It is. Uh, it is. I, I like Birdman a lot, but, I mean, yeah, you're well, right. You're not wrong. Well, it was uh, based on the cycle of movies. It would be actually Spotlight, because the Oscars in 2016. Oh, Man God. Came out in 2015. That's even worse. Yeah. Uh, that's way that worse. way worse. I know that I think the editor got an award, right, for best editing for this movie, which is why it's the movie that we like it's because it was george miller's wife who did all the editing and i believe she said something along the lines of like when like asked like why did you edit this way and she's like because a man would fuck it up like (laughs) which i appreciated like i don't know if it would be because of like i think how much they shot i don't know if it would be the same movie if someone else had edited it right like it it may not Mm -hmm. have the same perspective it would sell the same story but it may not seem as cohesive i guess as we know it now um so yeah i think that 
I think, yeah, her name was Margaret Sixel. Sixel, yeah. yeah. Sixel. So I think I'm looking she, at the Oscar stuff now, and yeah. basically Mad Max takes every category that isn't, like, major films, like editing, sound, costume design, all that. It yeah. should have got best film. I but, mean, like, I appreciated all of that. I, um, I love the soundtrack. Like, it was, it definitely really helped to, like, constantly, I'm like, when the when I could hear like the beat picking up, I'm like, oh, it's gonna be cool. Like so, uh, but like done in a way that didn't feel like pandering, I guess. But, like in a way that was fun. Um, costume design, absolutely. Like I could go on a lot about just like costume design because I'm just one of those yeah. nerds. Um, I, I I love when you hear the beat pick up or you hear the guitar kick in and then the camera pans over and it's like, oh yeah, this is diegetic sound. Like they're they're playing this yeah. music in the fucking convoy (laughs) yeah there's a great thing where um when the old lady gets her throat cut i think it's it's around that area where the the music just like dies but the sound is still going and it's kind of like barely like the music is barely there and then they carry on with this like fight scene that isn't involving her but it's still doing it and i'm like oh it's like the they just subtly turned the volume knob down and changed the entire tone of the film um Yeah. yeah it's actually fascinating to know that she edited this because the man, there's so much interesting editing and, and uh, shot selection and effects in this movie. Um, so much interesting use of zoom. Uh, like, cause usually when I think of like dramatic zooms in a movie, it's, it's like, it's nothing too fast unless it's the, the, um, the Spielberg effect where you zoom in and pull the dolly back. I forget what you call that, but, does that lord of the rings thing where it goes like you know uh but usually zooms are slower um and in this movie they're just like sudden and like scary and weird (laughs) it's very pulpy yes i i feel like the effects in this movie are designed in a way that i'm i've always been interested in which is um the the realization that it's an effect plays into the style itself um there's a lot of like green screens that you can kind of tell are green screens, but they create this kind of effect where like there you can the characters are outlined in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. Um, lighting is oh my goodness, the lighting in this movie. There's there's two in particular scenes where there's the blue lighting mm-hmm. where everything's monochrome, and they have like a candle, and I think there's another where Nux is in a car, and like they're just lit normally, which I couldn't even tell if it was like done through the color grading or through the actual lighting i feel like it had to be color grading but but the color grading was insane for the whole movie yeah everything was perfect and yeah the i love the night scene like when it became day again i was like really a little bit (laughs) the days were beautiful but the the night scenes the coloring the blue during the night was just incredible yeah um, just like a, a beautiful movie to watch yeah and that happens like literally just almost the exact halfway point into the movie it's like okay we did orange now we're doing blue this is one of the only orange and blue color graded movies that like gets it that looks well, good yeah. color theory those are the two like opposing on like the color wheel so yeah I appreciate um that. but but a lot of movies like transformers and all the michael bay basically every movie was doing that color grading unless it was like a certain i don't know unless they had another idea but usually every movie was doing it um like drama movies and shit and I remember seeing the poster for this and being like, oh, it's orange and blue. Uh-oh. I don't know about this. 
And then when I saw it, I was like, okay, this is the only movie that gets it. Like, I don't understand why nobody else gets it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that's um, just so many, like, fantastical choices that... Um, and, and a lot of it is editing. I, I also, when I found out, I remember watching it being like, I, I came out of it and somebody asked me what I thought. And I was like, this is my favorite comic book movie, even though it's not based on a comic book. <laughs> because, and I was like, it, it just feels like what I love about comic books, which is really weird. And then somebody told me like an hour after that, like, oh yeah, it was all done in storyboards first. Like, they didn't even have a script before they did storyboards. I'm like, that explains it. It's like, the whole movie is made like that. Like, it's sequential. Like, also, I recall, like, it's shot in sequence. So, that would also uh, I think explain it. And then, like, with the, with, like, the, the color grading, right? Like, a lot of this movie felt like it was trying to be incredibly stylized comic book art down to the dialogue. Uh, and a lot of like the symbolism, like the V8 symbolism that they do um, to sort of like worship the engine, like all of that was great. And like the lines were just sort of Matt pointed out one in chat about like a furious vexation. But like even when Nux is talking to the other war boys, like it's like it's almost like um, I'm forgetting the word for it, but it's almost like poetry the way that they're, they're trying to do it. It definitely doesn't. There's feel... like a there's a pentameter to it. Yeah. Like a... Yeah, there's a there's there's a meter that's that's it's very carefully written. Yeah, there, there's there's rhythm to it. Yeah, I feel like each character's dialogue is informed by their background somehow. Like like because I hit that furious vexation line, or I think it's furious vexation, and I was like, okay, right. Normally, you actually hear the line. You're like, did she say that? Like, it seems very like ridiculous or or not ridiculous but um needlessly uh com- convoluted or complicated or something like that but then she has other lines later where she she's also saying stuff like that i forget what they are but she every time she has a line it's kind of like that and then you're like okay well maybe she's she's in a harem she's she probably reads books or something or has some kind of mm-hmm. yeah, intellectual background yeah her um the I'm trying to blank on the character's name right now. The dag. Uh, what? The dag. That's I think it's no. Like... Oh, that's that. That's her character name. But the Miss um, starts with a not, C. Or Miss something. Kitty. Oh yeah. The... Uh, the the old woman who is the harem sort of like educator, like caretaker of them. Yes. Um, she has tattooed all over her body the history of the world that they recall. Right. That's so one of those like design things that you that you have to pay attention to, but like. I'll admit I'm a huge stan of this movie. Like I have the like coffee table like art book of this. Yeah. Um, because it was just such a good movie that I love so much. And they tell Nux uh, when they're about to kick him out of the car, like who who is responsible for the way the world is. So they have an understanding of that. That clearly, like a lot of people don't. They're just stuck in this post-apocalyptic world. That whatever at this point. Um, there's like interesting like uh, Nux and the other war boys say. Um, you traitored him or you traitored me. Like they don't like, they don't have the same grammatical sense, but you don't watch it. And you're like, that line's stupid. And the person that wrote it doesn't know how to say betrayed. It's like, okay, that's clearly educated by their characters and their backgrounds. And, Mm. and everybody talks different depending on who they are and what they're doing. Um, It's yeah. I feel like there's a lot of background lore in this movie 
that if you pay attention, you can piece it together, but it does it does very little work trying to um, info dump or world build on you. It's just like, you're in it now, and you'll get it as you go. Yeah, It doesn't build on the continuity of the previous Mad Max films, which is uh, something I really appreciate. This is a... Um, a contemporary fairy tale or fable almost like there's that sense that this is a story um that is told to us as listeners or viewers later on but the the details might be different and how they actually played out but this is the fable that we read to our children you know 20 years later mm-hmm. i love that yeah it's great um I feel like, okay, so I did question a lot when I came out of it originally, is is, is this the best action movie I've ever seen? And it's kind of hard because there's a lot of different types of action movies. Like, like there's, like, martial arts movies and, and uh, like, thriller-type, like, gunplay sabotage movies and, and that I would consider, like, better in different ways. I think as, like, a set-piece action movie... Like where they use sets and yeah, and... yeah. I was just thinking about that. Like each bit, like there's like discrete. Like we do this, we do this, we do this. But each one is like a fully like kind of beginning, middle, end, like kind of vignette sort of thing. Yes. Um. And there's there's purpose to it, and there's results to the action, and then they go on for the rest of the movie. Like it. it but everyone has consequences and has like a start and a finish kind of. Yeah. And it's, it's amazing as, a, as it, it, it's definitely the best set piece action movie ever for me. Like mainly there's so much action in this movie that is just like, um, I'm a musician. So like I'll, I'll listen to a band sometimes and like there's, there's music that's like nice to listen to. And then there's like a band that you'll listen to and be like, this is like so far beyond what I could ever write in my entire life, but they make it sound like effortless. You know what I mean? It's, mm-hmm. it's like, it kind of hurts you to listen to it. Cause like I could never do that. This movie is like that in the, it on the surface, what's happening is simple. Um, but it's incredibly technical and complicated and they just make it look like the easiest thing in the whole world. Like anybody could make a movie like this, but it's, it's like, um, even like this, as simple as like the fight scene between Max and Furiosa, they use the scenery and everybody's situation at constant times. You can always tell from the way it's shot what's going on. You can feel it like somebody is about to get shot or hit or die, mm-hmm. and it's it's so good. It's like when I was watching. I'm sorry, when I was watching Edge of Tomorrow, it's like this. I can't focus on it. In this movie, it's like, okay, every scene, it's like, oh my god, I know exactly what's going on, and it's all edge-of-your-seat type stuff. It, it really feels like you're watching a movie translation of just, like, so so the best comic book possible, where you, each frame of the comic is only the motion that matters, uh, and then the same thing, because you have limited space, and you can't just, like, keep showing stuff. You can't show ho- ho- the whole way through. So each, like, you, a hand comes into the frame is grasping something because that's very important. And so, like, it, it, but it's also, like, telling the characters stories, and you're getting their motivations because you're viewing just the things that matter over and over. Uh, yeah, and, I like, I love that moment, the facts between, the, the fight between Max and Furiosa, and then, like, Nux is also involved, and there's, like, this, like, weird, like, 
not loyalty switching, but everybody doesn't totally understand what's going on, but we do because we have the sort of dramatic irony going on and the like we know that that we know what the relationship between max really and nux and the rest really is going to end up being because i've watched this movie a dozen times before and but it just like it works and so when nux like grabs the 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 clip out of the that was ejected from the gun and tries to get it to max and it's just this whole like super interesting play but like it, it feels it, it's fun too. Like everything is serious and everybody's just like a, a finger snap away from dying at any moment, but it's really fun. Yeah. I'm curious. So y'all talk about the comic sensibility strong in the movie. How do you see it being different than something like the Zack Snyder films like Watchmen or 300 where that's another similar sensibility? Because I feel like this is qualitatively different and better how do you see the what do you see this difference? I would say it's way more visual and relies less on uh, speaking lines and, and its portrayal. Like you get you can you can put it on mute and get in a complete idea of what's happening in the world. You don't even need to hear his lines. I think Tom Hardy only had what, fifty lines or something for yeah. the whole movie. <laughs> so it was way more, I guess, like exposition than background storytelling like you didn't really again like you could just have it on mute the whole time and just have exactly know like where you kind of are in this in this world so i i love the idea the the medium of graphic novels as an art form um and something i always enjoyed was was seeing very good storytellers in graphic novels like tell stories wordlessly um they use the the medium itself to um, and you don't even have movement. It's it's just here's these images in this sequence to inform you of what's happening, and they can tell a story through that. And I feel like Zack Snyder likes the word bubbles, which, like, okay, so for example, Alan Moore. Like, I, I do really like Alan Moore's work by and large. It's a lot of it's problematic, but um, for example, uh, in V for Vendetta, yes, there's a lot of characters. There's there's certain characters that give monologues and it's written very well because Alan Moore is a good writer but um there's like a one shot at the end of V for Vendetta that's wordless it's just a sequence where um where V kills like a high level person and a doorman watches it and then tries to hide from it and like it's it's but the thing is is all of the subtle things about the narrative are just told without words and it, it shows you like this this comes first. The medium comes first, and then you can get to the writing and stuff. But you have to you have to focus on what makes what you're doing work. And I feel like in this movie, it's like okay, I'm I'm using film to do this, so you you have to focus on visuals <laughs> and visual storytelling. And then yeah, I mean the writing has to be good, but that that's always the the focal point. So. And it was very educated. Like I, I feel like watching it. That's that's where I got that comic feel from. Was like it, there's so much visual storytelling in this um, that's done on like a frame by frame basis. Probably a lot of a lot owed to the editor. I'm I'm actually really glad to know she she got an Oscar for that and she was responsible for so much of it. It explains a lot. So I'm going to be the the dissenter in this one just because um, this movie does get a lot of accolades for being a feminist movie which I do agree with. Um, however, my main 
criticism is that this movie is peak white feminist and mm, that yes. like you don't there's not a lot of people of color um it maybe has like there's definitely like a moment of like homophobic slurs um it's you know is it trans inclusive who knows but like the group of women are called the vuvalini like come yeah. on just just call them the the vulva havers like might as well <sighs> um so in that regard like is that like cis sexist probably um so like that's my my only like real i think criticism of this movie is that it's not intersectional feminism it's just like white feminism but like it's still a good movie because so many action movies don't even get that far um but it's something that i think we could endeavor to do better uh, i think they consulted with eve ensler and that's maybe why yep. it was not as inclusive as it could be but mm. you know the writer of the vagina monologues so but I get that they didn't, that they were trying to have a, as much of a streamlined story as possible. Um, and so, like, where do you fit in that, like, intersectionality? Like, can, like, I think you can. I just, as someone who's not a filmmaker, I couldn't say, like, where it could have been better other than to omit certain lines that were very obviously homophobic. Um, now, with the homophobia, are you talking about where the war boy screams the F word? Like the F slur. Mm -hmm. Okay, because the subtitles no. actually. Okay, that gave me a different. It sounds like the F slur, but the subtitles said he was saying like something different that I couldn't make out. Um, but what's the other? Uh, or the dag calls Max. Uh, was it a crazy smeg who eats Schlanger? Oh, the Schlanger thing. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, like Schlanger. I guess that can't be shit, really. No, no, I Maybe. looked it up. It's it's Australian for penis. Oh. Like, it's Australian slang for penis that they use. Okay, so. there you go. Because um, I wanted to make sure, too. I'm like, well, they're they're making up their own slang in, or, like, a lot of their own words, as you would imagine, in, like, a post-apocalyptic world where it's all just, like, verbal. Yes. Uh, verbal learning. So, of course, like, you know, language would change. Um, but I looked it up, and, they, yeah, it was like, oh, no, this is a common, like, term for penis in Australia. Gotcha. So, um, like that maybe wasn't great, but um, yeah, I, I think I missed it because it's. I mean, it is it is um, a good point, but I think it I I missed it because it was like okay, they're using weird slang terms I don't understand, and it's they're in a weird post apocalypse. Like I, I didn't it didn't process for me, but that makes a lot of sense. Um, there definitely is a with the POC thing. Like I. Um, I felt like the feminism for the feminist aspect for the first two thirds was kind of, yeah, a little bit. And then like once the older ladies and Furiosa's clan gets into it, I'm like, okay, I'm down with this. Like, I really like this group as a feminist sort of ideal. I do like the that the older actresses apparently did all of their own stunts. And I'm like, fuck, I have new, I have to like <laughs> rearrange my entire life goals. Like, that's awesome as shit. Uh, so I do appreciate that, but here are these older actresses like fucking doing stunts in the desert like shit i want to be that cool i mean i want to live long enough to be that cool first but you know uh they have some I, of the coolest lines too they do like the one shot one kill one shot one one shot one man i think is what it is uh one man uh, one bullet one man one bullet yeah. that's sick and then and uh she she like the older like the i think the oldest of the, the vuvalini uh let's talk about how oliver shots were headshots and yeah. describing <laughs> and then the the 
the younger one's like like oh that's so i don't remember what she says but it amounts to like that's so uncivilized killing people she's like she's like get over here like fuck off (laughs) well if we're gonna talk about the feminism piece now i want to bring up something that i found uh was pretty recently Lindsay ellis the film critic and tv critic um had a thread talking about captain marvel and um battle angel alita and sort of her personal or critical taste where she didn't like captain marvel as a film but um she was talking specifically about female empowerment and sort of like the two tracks that it can run down so i'm just gonna read here um she said for the record both films in this case um alita battle angel and captain marvel are very feminism as envisioned by men cameron slash rodriguez's female empowerment equals punching good is the most third grade base level thing ever and I hate Captain Marvel's approach of women not having vulnerabilities or human attachment equals empowering. This is kind of interesting because for me, Furiosa doesn't fall in either of those camps. Right. She is not powerful because of her ability to punch well. She is not um, totally aloof. In fact, it's her vulnerability that drives her to seek out the Vuvalini or turn home. So that for me is like why I think this film threads a needle better than other sort of films when it comes to the feminism about the major characters. Furiosa is not... I don't think her character is that male envisioned feminism of Strong like... female powerful. character. Exactly. It, it, it eschews the weed in peace. Um, I think what I love about it too, and this may be part of Furiosa's backstory that's never in the film, but we don't see Furiosa in sexual peril herself. And I think that's something that is often used as a trope in... Um, making a character quote-unquote more feminist when she experiences sexual violence and we see that and see her vulnerability there i also love that she gets placed up against the main villain of the film and she kills him like she's the one that takes him out it's no one else max isn't the one that does it uh it's curious herself so i i think that this film for me really accomplishes that in a way that is meaningful and that is worthy of more attention as to how you realistically achieve that sort of not realistically as a way of how you portray a feminist character that isn't defined by men which i think is the problem of alita battle angel and captain marvel yeah she she is definitely the main reason because i feel like both other groups of women in the movie not counting the milk ladies (laughs) but uh the the harem and the um the vuvalini i guess it's it's like Here's women that are basically their entire function in society is to serve the men. And here's women that don't even fucking deal with men ever. And the minute a man shows up, like the, the two men are like, well, those two men, we don't trust them like instantly. I mean, who can like them? Yeah, for sure. But it's kind of like two extremes of the, the feminist, uh, not stereotype, but idea, I guess. And then like, luckily Furiosa is there in the middle. She's kind of outside the it feels like she's she's kind of outside the um how is this character educated or influenced by men all the time it's just like fuck it she she does what she does she's in for her own thing um she breaks she basically drives the vast majority of the movie i think the only time it's changed is when max helps her to decide what to do at the end but it's not like it's it's definitely her film like she is the the driving force of it i mean and that was something a lot of people complained about 
I do kind of, like, the one nitpick I have is kind of with that, but it's not so much that Mad Max isn't the main character, uh, that Max isn't the main character in his movie. It's more that I, fiz- I feel like his character could be a little more defined in his dialogue and action, kind of. I think his character is actually kind of great because he's the audience surrogate. And not only is he the audience surrogate, I think he's the audience surrogate in an action film. Yeah. Mad Max is the exact kind of action hero that the cis white male audience envisions themselves going to a movie and envisions themselves within Max and kicking ass and doing all that. And I think this film subverts that. And not only is Mad Max our entry point into the universe, or attached to him anyway, but he's the one that isn't the focus of the film, which I think is this weird sort of displacement mm-hmm. that keeps us, though, in the viewer seat as we watch it. Um, it we, don't, we don't disengage. Like, we're, we're not... Because we want to know what happens with the rest of the story. Right. But Max is just an entry point into it. And as a an audience avatar, he kind of gets pushed aside for the actual story, which I just appreciate. Yeah, I don't think I really have a problem with that. It's more just the... Um... His dialogue is a little... It's not even dialogue. It's just his his way of delivering it. It's, it's not even rough. It's just kind of workmanlike. It's just there, and it's there to move things. It's not... I don't feel too much drama in it a lot of the time. It, it, I feel like there could be a little more in there. I don't I don't know. I don't want to fault Tom Hardy, because I don't think it's him. I, he's a good actor. Like, but would it be the same movie? Right? Like, would it be as, like, streamlined and, like, sort of, like, constantly, like kicking it up to the other notch and like having this flow if we had to hear tom hardy talk more i don't think he should talk more at all that's what i mean (laughs) i i just they feel like his inflection and emotion is kind of deadened maybe due to the character but also just kind of i don't know he he doesn't seem too into a lot of stuff even when he should be so some of that i think might stem from the concept, and I really like this concept, uh, and I, I don't know if it necessitates um, this thing that, that, that you have identified as a, a slight weakness, um, but the concept that the Mad Max movies are not, you know, it's not like a, a series of stories. There's no, like, chronological right. order. It doesn't really matter which order you watch them in because they are retellings of this like kind of legendary wasteland figure named max who might not even be the same person sure in every one of these stories but they are like passed from mouth to mouth like stories of this person called max who comes into situations and they're more stories in order to uh, tell the story of the wasteland basically and they're just they just happen to have max within the story and he's this like fabled figure he's a paul bunyan or a johnny appleseed more than an actual character necessarily I- existence of the tales is more important than the character within yeah the and the end of the movie definitely reinforces the like he vanishes into the crowd he's just like a folk hero that doesn't yeah he's not yeah, taking yeah. any glory for himself uh I, like i said i'm fine with it. this is like an insanely minor nitpick because basically I love this movie so much. Um, I don't have any issues. It's, it's essentially like um, all the other characters I feel like have this very like you can tell how they feel all the time and, and they're very like even Nux for example is is he's a little 
more on his sleeve than than Max would ever be. But um, I don't know. I feel like there's there's some cases where Max is driving, for example, or where when he doesn't know who to trust with Furiosa and the other one, where he's just kind of he's just kind of driving the car and he's relaxed about it. I, I it feels like he's supposed to be cool, and I wish he would be more personable. But that's like I said, it's it's a very minute thing, um, mm-hmm. and it's not really related to what everybody complained about, which is uh, he's sidelined in his own movie. I don't care about that at all. Like it's not. I also just don't think that he is sidelined. Yeah, there's plenty of Max in this. He's movie. not at all. <laughs> it's, it's that's just a classic. Oh no, there's a woman in in the movie, and she does everything. This isn't what I yeah, yeah. what I want to see a white a white guy want to see. So that's that's all BS. But. Um, I, oh sorry. Go I ahead. mean, like, I just wanted to kind of like touch back on like what Matt had brought up um, about like the strong female character or like how it's written in a way that's identifiable to I think a lot of women. So a couple of years ago, I was at a wrestling event and I was wearing a costume and it wasn't related to this movie at all, but like it was um, like half like my upper half of my face was like completely painted in my my hair that I had like totally shaved off was just growing back although I like I bleached it to like platinum blonde and even the fact that I was like wearing a bunch of black and like feathers everywhere um I kept getting in the bathroom line people asking me if I was dressed up like Furiosa for what I was like very clearly not um the feathers <laughs> should have been a dead giveaway but I thought that was funny because like all like it was only women asking me this um and no men like throughout the whole night asked me like if that's what I was doing so like I think it was one of those like I mean for one like it is like the style and fashion for sure like in the in the costume design but I think it was just sort of also like I think a lot of women just paid attention to maybe this movie more so than a lot of other ones um and were able to I think appreciate or at least even identify it on a way that didn't feel like pandering so yeah um that's good to hear because i mean because watching it from a male perspective i'm like i really love this character i really love these ideas i didn't like i remember when i saw it i didn't know like what kind of impact it would have that was kind of like when why i felt like i really want like i feel like this deserves to win best picture just because first of all it's the best movie and second of all like it to me this feels like a counterculture movie like a punk movie Uh, which is incredible given like, so I I feel like the, the Mad Max movies when they originally came out were, were very important just style wise and, and genre wise. And then like, you couldn't even count the number of B movies that, that ripped off the premise or idea or style and got it wrong. And it's boring. You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. like the post-apocalyptic guys driving around in shitty cars, like, like abusing even, women or whatever yeah you know i, I mean like god it, it, it definitely like inspired a lot. it inspired a whole lot of just like aesthetic genre for one like i immediately go to like borderlands that i've played like you know, right the games um and like how like that's inspired it so like definitely from like and that's like a completely aesthetic i hate to be that person like aesthetics but definitely <laughs> this 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 and like beyond thunderdome and for sure this movie um i'm not sure who george miller hired for this or if he had the vision but fucking kudos man for having such a lasting 
uh, like forty year uh, big like legacy and like uh, like aesthetics and and just sort of uh, genre that people pull from. So especially yeah. considering that didn't George Miller before this do oh I don't know like Happy Feet, Happy Feet, and Babe. Yep, Pig and in the Babe. City. Right. I think he also did like Witches of Eastwick. Like he's in a lot of stuff, but like I don't. I think this was like his first action movie in a while. Right? Yeah, yeah. Well, since the other well, Mad Max, yeah. yeah. What was interesting about that is, is, like I said, there's there's been countless like takes on this genre or idea, and they they all don't they don't feel like they don't have that counterculture or punk feel. And then this movie comes out, and I remember when it came out, I was like, "Eh, it's they're making another Mad Max movie. Why? It's been like however long, and I don't know how I feel about that." And then all the press came out, and then like watching it, it was just like. Like I said, it's just effortless. Like you watch it, you're like, man, how? Oh, it's so confident. How is it so hard for other people to make a movie that has that, that cool counterculture punk feel? Because it's not even like it's in the themes of the movie. Like all of the characters are just, um, like the way the way the protagonists relate to the power structure and the system is is in direct opposition in a fascinating way. And it's like, why don't more movies do this? Why is it so difficult? Um, it might have something to do with just Hollywood and the way producers are in that system to begin with or, or directors, but, um, yeah, it just, it, it was, it's so interesting when like a counterculture thing becomes an actual part of the, the mainstream culture. And then you watch it kind of like become a big thing. It was, it was just fascinating when it came out. I was like, oh man, this is, there need to be more movies like this. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It's kind of a miracle, I think, that it ended up the way it did. Um, just so good. I think also, um, you know, talking about action and genre, one of the things that really helps this film, I think, for me, we, we talk about sort of the kinetic and weight of something. You know, the CGI is very minimal. Yeah. Um, a lot of the stunts are, like, when you see the people swinging on the backs of, like, cars, um, that's real. You know, like they 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 layer a lot of stuff when it comes to like the explosions, you know, for safety yeah. purposes, um, and digitally like build those scenes together. But it's still a real car driving down oh, the yeah. highway that they're layering together, and I think that weight, just visually, I've watched a lot of Marvel movies in my day, and like, it's very easy for those CGI characters to just feel yes. weightless and just like have nothing. That there's something about the human eye that's just like can tell when there has been substance to something and these are actual explosions that are going off and it's yeah. gorgeous. I was say, some of the best like action movies that hold up so well over the years are because they rely so heavily on practical effects. Um, and I think this, I mean, this is like what 80% just practical effects. Like I think they tried to do minimal like CGI down to the fucking guitar that shoots flames, which rules. <laughs> I don't think the flames were actually that big, but I appreciate that it's like this hundred pound guitar that would like shoot flames when you press the whammy bar. So that's what I want to do in the post apocalypse. By the way, really bad. I just want to <laughs> play guitar for <laughs> like. I don't get so awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I like that they also set him up. Like we saw the do Fourier is his name, and we see him a bunch of times, and then finally at some point, Max gets thrown onto his car and has to, like, punch him and hit people with his guitar, and you're like, yeah, this finally happened. He actually has a fight scene in the background of one of the shots with him. I'm like, I'm like, it's just going on back there, and it, you can tell it's cool, <laughs> but we have something else going on up here. Um, yeah, I feel like with CGI, there's a lot of... 
uh, it, I would almost call it like sleight of hand. It's like trickery. Like they they speed up certain shots and blur them, and you can tell like things aren't hitting each other are actually happening. And in this movie, like there are so many stunts where I'm like, how in the fuck did they do that? Like they actually had people tumbling out of cars that fast and sh- it, it looks terrifying. Um, and uh, like. Pretty much every action set piece is like, oh my god, I, I, I feel like somebody's gonna actually die <laughs> in real life, you know? And that's why it's so thrilling, I think, is because when you know that, like, they used minimal CGI and, like, they just had a bunch of stunt actors and, like, actually, like, built these fucking cars, like, I, that's... Oh, yeah. It feels so It does, because like, it is, like, for the most part, right? Um, and it's just totally bonkers and... I don't know, it still, like, always gets my adrenaline up, and I'm still, like, I always find myself, like, gripping whatever I'm, yeah. like, holding on to, because it's still that good, even though, like, I know exactly what's going to happen, but, and that's not something a lot of movies can still, like, reproduce really well. And I think it's because, like, maybe because of all of the layers of the action scene, when you rewatch it, you can sort of, like, focus on, like, a new thing maybe you didn't notice before that also makes you stressed out, because you're like, oh, shit, holy god, is that... People just like climbing on the poles for the pole cats and like hitting it. Like I don't even know. Like ah, but like yep. in, a, in an enjoyable way. It's like it's <laughs> Mad Max Fury Road is enjoyable anxiety. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the really one of the things that really makes that happen is that it's a really focused action movie. It is a car chase action movie and they put like every bit of energy they had into like every real there's the fight between max and furiosa but that is really more character building and storytelling like pure storytelling than a a full-on action scene like yeah there's stakes there's tension there's all of that and it's a well shot and well done fight because we care about the the results and how it goes down but all of the real life or death action moments happen while cars are moving jumping from car to car the and obviously like the way that it's put together so that you actually know what's going on at every single moment and like the 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 movement of the cameras with the movement of the cars and they just there's this flow to it that's incredible but the that just like focus on we are going to shoot every type of way to fight from car to car and and that movement that we're always moving like and you get close to the ground and you will probably die like there's just that level of tension underlying every fight that makes the stakes so high and and really makes you like physically feel it and i yeah i mean i don't think they could have done it without being focusing so hard on practical effects but i think also just the way that they say okay like mad max is about cars we're gonna shoot this in the cars the whole time and and they just executed and next is about cars we're gonna give you only cars yeah, yeah. it's we're great we're gonna give you more cars <laughs> yeah and in a lot of a lot of b movies too like are educated by the car chase and it's it's always like there's two cars or possibly three cars and they're all going this fast and they're just follow one of like two of them are following one other car and there's little things that happen but like you know, they hit some cardboard boxes or some shit. But this movie is like, there's a constant understanding of why, which cars are going faster or slower, what the stakes are mm-hmm. at all times down to like, uh, you know, we lost 
don't don't let them get in front of us they're gonna spike the tires like every every moment every little yeah. movement matters yeah and it's so like that's that's why when somebody said like i remember somebody was like well like basically the entire movie is a car chase and i'm like i need to see that just on a technical aspect like how somebody mm-hmm. can put together a movie that's basically almost 90 percent car chase and have it work and like i said he makes it look easy it's just like yeah fuck it can make a whole movie a car chase it's easy <laughs> well and like the the structure of the film you know there's pauses in the chase sequences but they're all meaningful and purposeful and do things for yes. you so there is a scene where like you basically start to build the alliance between furiosa and max the next stop sequence is about nux sort of integrating himself into this to this team the next one is seeing the many mothers and realizing that like this is all over and, and Furios's dream is not going to be realized and then the return and so like each of these moments like are punctuated in purposeful ways from a structure perspective like in terms of story it's an economy I, I think many screenwriters could learn from in terms of like how do we accomplish what we need to do at each point in the story how are these purposeful stops getting us there like I think to draw in contrast against our episode from last week, like The Abyss, you know, Chris, you're talking about how this movie is so focused. This movie is what happens if we took one of those movies in The Abyss and just focused on that instead of the three that are in yeah. it in the final <laughs> sequence. Yeah, um, and actually I was thinking about, uh, weirdly enough, I was thinking about my other favorite action movies because Katie had mentioned Terminator 2, which is a great movie. And I was like, I can't figure out whether I'd put Aliens above or below that. Which, I mean, Cameron can do that. Like, like Aliens is a movie where you focus on one damn thing most of the movie, and it works really well. It's it's the set pieces that do it for me, man. This this movie's like, there's so many little details and, and like, lore things embedded into the movie that aren't, they don't have to use dialogue and exposition to explain. You just understand when there's a dude with a giant flaming flamethrowing guitar, and there's guys on poles that throw like spears why would it be different why would it be any different from this it has to be exactly you don't you don't question it you're just like okay i'm going along with this shit because first of all it rules and second of all like it it makes sense in this world somehow yeah i think that's also the suspension of disbelief everything that we suspend our disbelief for is worth it in the film and we're not asked to reevaluate our suspension of disbelief over and over and over again as the film goes on Right. Yeah, it's so. And some good. of the the characters always question their own motivations, like like the um, uh, when the the woman dies under the car and they stop and they they try to run away and then uh, Furiosa shoots one of the dudes with the sniper rifle and there's just a constant sense of like why is each character doing what they're doing? How would they actually react in this situation? There's some great like who's on whose side about a third of the way and it's just everybody's on a weird who do we trust and who do we not trust and and you know it they work you through the suspension of disbelief why are these characters doing what they're doing we'll we'll show you (laughs) you know we don't have to tell you i was really happy to watch something that still gets me so hype um and has very little of the bad feelings associated with it um (laughs) it's just a fun a fun ass movie when I saw it in theaters, uh, the only thing I didn't like was the the 3D service near the end. But I was watching it in 3D and I didn't want to. So 
that was the only ticket they had. I hate 3D so much. Oh, when the when the war rig the steering wheel comes in, toss it. Actually, it yeah. actually works in the 2D film. That was what I was what I was yeah, happy with. Fine. It was just when I was watching in 3D, I'm like, oh my god, they got to throw this the thing coming at me. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I do want to bring up the costumes a little bit just yeah. because one of the things that I appreciated on this viewing that I hadn't really paid attention to before was the um, harem or the wives of a Morton Joe. I don't know if y'all noticed this, um, but it really stuck with me. So they're clad in white for most of it, symbolizing sort of their innocence, obviously. But once they meet up with the Vuvulini, all their clothes, like they start wearing other clothes or like hoods or things like that. And so the white is no longer the primary shade or color for their costume at that point, which I just love because like it's, to me, it was sort of the symbolizing of they're no longer innocent. They are autonomous individuals. And I just, I loved that, that moment where like they could don gear that was appropriate for survival. And it felt like a, it felt like a, a moment where they were, became self-actualized as characters. Right. Um, through, I think I made a note of this and then forgot about it. Um, I think through like costuming, uh, they, and like, just like the style in general, um, you, you do sort of like touch on different portrayals of the feminine, which you've got like, obviously like warrior, mother, waif um you know wife 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 uh and then like you know like the the elder sort of thing so um like yeah they were it was really great i mean like it clearly when when they are coming out of the citadel like they're not clad in functional clothes i mean their function is very obvious uh when they're in the citadel but then they become you know you're gonna be in the fucking desert preparing for like potentially like a long haul, then yeah, you're not going to wear like very little clothing in the sun. But also appreciated how many people had like, just like straight up like sunburns. Um, yeah. Or like you know, <laughs> they had like, you know, that, that sort of like tanned, like overexposed skin, which obviously weren't the wives, but uh, yeah. And just sort of like how you would need to prepare for that. So I also appreciated that. Um, I'm not sure if you also paid attention to like when Furiosa had her face paint on versus like yeah. what was happening when it wasn't on. Um, and how, like, that was, like, donning, essentially, like, the, that role um, to sort of inform how you connected to her vulnerability. So Yeah, I was going to bring yeah. that up. There's a lot of, like, slow changes or, or minute changes in makeup and costume that tell stories about the character. Because Furiosa, at the beginning, is, like, fucking from here up, it's straight jet black. And then it slowly, like goes away the more she gets away from the citadel and changes as a, as a character i like how it almost like covers her up yeah. in a way like it's almost like a representation of like the deceit of her that she's about to steal the wives from morton joe and as that goes away so does the makeup or the the oil grease. yeah it also actually has a practical function which is if you put eyeliner sort of like inside the not that y'all would necessarily know if you put eyeliner sort of in inside the uh, the the water line uh, it does sort of help deflect like some of like that straight up sunlight. So they don't have sunglasses. Yeah, yeah. So it also probably served a practical purpose in terms of like warrior paint. So like it was just all like everything about this movie was smart and informed. And even down to like Nux's uh, makeup, like how the the weird spray paint shit. Like God, the war boy culture is so fucking yeah. cool. It's stupid, but cool. <laughs> it's like, stupid. They're whippets. Yeah. <laughs> well, there were a lot of people that questioned. Like I, I remember. They're like, well, what are they in like a cult or? And I'm like, it doesn't fucking matter. 
They worship a giant, like, steering wheel altar thing. It's, it's fucking cool, and you don't have to think too hard about it. Like, it's... There's that, like, death drive to the War Boys that I think is interesting, particularly in the connection with sort of the Nordic imagery and contemporary Nazism of, you know, which I, I also think has a strong death drive in it. And so to see that on screen and then sort of see Nux as the character who's redeemed by abandoning that. I love how Witness Me changes from the first time Nux says it to the last time he does. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's a complete tonal shift in his character where at the first time he is looking to die and be reborn as some kind of like super warrior. The last time it's a Witness Me, he is asking the redheaded, I'm drawing a blank on her name. Uh, but he's asking her to remember him and to remember his sacrifice. And it just, it's an incredible tonal shift that I just love so much. That last night just really hit me more than the previous times I've seen yeah, this Yeah, the arc is, he goes, the, the, the war boys sacrifice themselves for themselves. It's for their own glory. And, and at the end, he sacrifices for other people that he yes. cares about. That's it's, And that's kind of the main theme in the movie is, is like the anti-capitalist sentiment. <laughs> is, is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Living for others, and and in his case, dying for others. I love Nux's arc. I, I mean, it's a simple one, relatively, but you know, he you can tell that there's a level of humanity like seated inside of him from the very beginning of the movie. Like, even though he is, he has totally bought into this war boy cult slash culture thing you see that like desperation in him the whole time to be what he is supposed to be and that is something that ends up getting channeled in a different direction but there's like the core of him is consistent throughout the movie even though he goes through character development and has different goals and and desires at the end of yeah the movie. and even with furiosa i feel like i feel like she goes from almost the the liberal or neoliberal idea of i, I can escape from this world and go back to the place I knew Mm -hmm. and we can just leave this behind. And then it, and the, the, the arc is like, Oh no, we have to, we have to destroy this and remake it the way it's supposed to be Mm -hmm. for other people. Um, Escapism versus like changing. I actually hadn't even considered the, the depths of that uh, implication. So yeah, yeah. actually shit. That's really good. (laughs) Yeah. There's a lot of depth that like, again, like this movie it it's not focused on big sprawling monologues explaining the themes and the plot uh it's just all told through what happens like i feel like the arc shift when um furiosa realizes her her home is gone and max kind of convinces her it's like so subtle it's it's not necessary to have them be i don't, I don't know to 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 talk a lot about the character motivations they just they just do it. It just works. <laughs> like in any other film, it would be a like ten minute yes. scene of them just talking to and each other, where they explain, where they explain, this is my values, this is where I come from, everything else, and this yeah. is just like. Do you get that audience? This back. is what my character is. Hello. <laughs> head, head back. We we ride back. Yeah. And like that just what worked. I hear that Tom Hardy was a piece of shit to work with on set. Really. Yeah. Unbelievable. Have you read his MySpace profile? <laughs> he seems like such a with it um, guy. That kind of explains this, my this, reaction this, to him, probably. Yeah. Yeah. 
but his like standoffishness and like how um, succinct he is, like he's definitely not a wordy guy. He mostly grunts half the time. Uh, I just really <laughs> like that scene of like we're gonna go out and we're gonna go out to the salt. And he just goes up to her, like hands this little map that he's done. She's like, "No, you go back," and without like having to like go into like so much detail or like show us the heist, how it's planned out, and like her quick realization of being like, "Yeah, you're right. Here we go." Like and that was just so nice to me. It's like, oh, thank you for not like insulting me by like having to go through and explain. I mean, like they kind of did, but it was real quick, and it had interactions with like the the Bublini and the other women, like mm-hmm. chiming in too, being like, "Oh yeah, we we definitely need to." Oh, uh, yes. A group of women and a couple of male allies are like, we need to fucking overthrow capitalism, man. Yeah. We just gotta do it. And I'm like, yeah, fucking here for it. Of course you do, yeah. One one moment that I... It's kind of the one thing that sticks in my head, and I'm like, I don't get that. And it's completely meaningless. But when they say, we can go 160 days west from here. So, number one, if you go, like, you know, 100 miles a day, which is not very far, even in the desert... That's 16,000 miles. Yeah. Uh, that's There's no continent that you don't just, like, end up in the ocean at that point. What is the what is the circumference of the world? I don't know if they know. Hold on. Cut, edit this out. <laughs> um, I don't know if they know, right? Like, they have very limited understanding of... Don't edit this out, by the way. I want, I want you to just be like... But, so the circumference of the world is 25,000 miles so you go well over you know you go two-thirds of the way around the world at that point but also like what kind of gasoline are they using i don't understand like the motorcycles yeah yep okay so i ride a motorcycle and you get you know they get good gas mileage but you don't Um, have that much gas well this is when they were going through the salt maybe is that what you're talking about well, they no. might not be going 100 say, miles a day. They might, like, only be going, like, you know. To I was going to say maybe they were miles or maybe they were mountains or something, but I guess not. Uh, you never know. I don't know. It was kind of arbitrary. Anyways, but... it doesn't it doesn't matter no. at all, but 160 days is, like, a lot of days. <laughs> it's, like, half a year. You can go almost half a year, like, six months going west. Like the fucking Oregon Trail or something. <laughs> uh, hilariously, I'm reading The Indifferent Stars Above, so... Nice. Uh, which is a terrible bedtime read, turns out. Do not recommend. <laughs> um, if you're like, oh, cool, real life survival horror. No. Yikes. Uh, do not recommend. Anyway, uh, I don't. I wasn't going anywhere with that shit. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it was. I think it was mostly arbitrary for them to say like you could go this insane amount of time trying to escape, right? But there's still you. You're not going to find anything that way. You can't outrun. You're not going to find the green place, which was the whole point. Right. Well, uh, the green place was basically dead. And that's what they had to come to terms with and and try to, like, re- redo a plan. So I think they were just like, well, if there's not here, we'll just, we got to keep going rather than, I think a lot of people have that, yeah. right? Like, that's the whole point of us building a lunar gateway and going to Mars. Like, we have the technology to fucking terraform our own planet to make it better, but we're going to do it on Mars instead. Yeah. And a lot of liberal... <laughs> liberalism and conservatism is, is we need to get back to the the nice time that we remember that can never exist again right that's that's the yeah. green place or this sure. ideal of of america that we have that never really existed yeah a lot of interesting stuff there is somebody had brought up to me that morton joe is like a guy from the original mad max movies yes. the actor he's the original villain 
in the first Mimimimps villain. That's... See, that's kind of amazing mm. to me. Just because I, I do feel like they do a lot of covering up of, like, this is an old dude. But it works. Like, I never for once thought, like, how old is the guy playing this person? If you want to see a real head fuck, watch him in Farscape because he's a completely different Which character. Which character is he in Farscape? I have, I've been watching Farscape. Grunchlick. Uh, is it like a one-off or um, later? He's like a couple episodes. Um, he's an episode where um, Crichton is being interrogated by the Skarens on the ice planet. Okay. I'll watch for it. He's, he's, That's going to be crazy. He's the heavy set, <laughs> real slimy um, pandering dude. Okay. But he just, like, there's nothing about his performance that is intimidating at all. Yeah. But Fury Road, he is a powerhouse. It, it's just funny because I feel like they gave him, like, uh, like one of those suits that looks like abs. You know what I mean? Where they airbrush him on. <laughs> I mean, it, it just works. Like, you don't, you don't question for a second that he's, like, a huge, terrifying dude. Right. Um, well, I mean, like, it's, that's, like, the painting on of, like, a lot of masculinity, right? Because I feel like we could we could gush about all the symbolism, and that's great, right? How we're all like, oh yeah, there's this, and it's great. Um, the I think yeah, the bottom line is this movie fucking rules. Um, e- yeah, this movie <laughs> y'all, yeah. y'all at home, please watch this film. I assume everyone listening has to have seen it, right? Like that's yeah. There's there's no way. It's one of the quintessential. I mean, if they haven't, you now have an obligation, dear listener, to go out and see this movie. Maybe you're possible. like twelve. Uh, <laughs> And your parents, maybe you're waiting. Well, a no. Bit. If you're 12 and your parents don't want you to watch it, fucking watch it anyway. <laughs> Fuck them. Sneak out. <laughs> watch it on your laptop at night. Hell yeah. So uh, we have been second star to the left. Um, let's talk about where you can find us all on social media. Uh, Bert, where can we find you? Uh, I am at Refreshing Time, where I'm complaining nonstop. Uh, I also run at Space Drill. And I stream video games on Ace Ghost on Twitch. A-C-E, Ghost. Um, I am tweeting mostly about Magic the Gathering at at CCR underscore Grindcast. And I'm constantly horny on main at Anime Weed Fart 69. <laughs> <laughs> you can find me at A Very Big Bear. Next week, we're going to have a special guest on, Meredith Russo, author of Birthday and if I was your girl, uh, we'll be discussing the uh, blue film Titan AE. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you all next week. <laughs>